Hello and welcome to another episode of Queer Money. Whether you're with someone or not, I want you to think back to a time recently where you felt lonely. It's not a great feeling, right? Now imagine if that loneliness wasn't for a partner or someone to spend the rest of your life with, but rather was for a family, a father, a mother. Did you know that there are over 100,000 children in the U.S. waiting to find a home with a father or mother or set of parents who will love them, support them, and guide them to being great human beings? This week on Queer Money, we invite Jillian Johnsrod of Montana Money Adventures on the show for the second episode in support of Adoption and National Adoption Day, which was November 17th this year. Not only does Jillian help people with their money, she is an advocate and adoptive parent from the foster care system. Jillian, along with her husband, have adopted four children in total, and she has two biological children. She adopted her first child at the age of 22. Jillian is here to share her success story, but also to share with us some of the costs, considerations, and data around foster kids. She also has some interesting information about LGBTQ families and those looking to adopt LGBTQ youth. Before we jump into the show, if you know someone who is interested in adoption, especially someone in the LGBTQ community, please hit the share button and share this episode with them. You never know how it could change the life of a child hoping to find a mom or dad. Here we go. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Welcome, Jillian, to the show. We have a fascinating story for all of you to listen to today. Jillian has an amazing story about how she and her husband have become champions of adopting children, especially children out of the foster care system. So welcome, Jillian. We're happy to have you with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I'm really excited. Definitely. Of course. Yeah, so you and your husband, um, this is the, the part that to me is very fascinating, that you and your husband chose to adopt your first child when you were only 22. <laughs> so maybe you could tell us a little bit about that experience and why you chose to do it at such a young age. Yeah, I had always been really passionate about adoption. Actually, on our very first date, one of the questions I asked my husband was, how do you, how do you feel about adoption? Wow. Um, and he was like, I like that idea. And I was like, okay, how do you feel about adoption from foster care? <laughs> and he said, I love it. I actually, my parents became foster parents after all of his kids moved out of the house. And he had had a foster brother at the time, Micah. So good first date. He sometimes jokingly refers to it as the most romantic interview he ever had. <laughs> I like it. Yes. <laughs> we always knew that that was part of the plan. I definitely wasn't thinking that we would adopt so soon. We had been married about a year and a half, two years. And it was actually his foster brother, Micah, who we had we had met a couple times Micah was about 11, and I was 21 at the time, and his caseworker called us and said, listen, I've, I've called all of his relatives, I've called every, every option we have as far as foster parents, I don't have an adoptive placement for this kid. Wow. So if you guys would like to adopt him, that's great. If not, I'm going to put him in a group home. And he'll just age out of the system. Right. Oh. 
And my husband and I went away for the weekend, actually for my 21st birthday. And we did not feel prepared. We didn't feel ready. He was in fifth grade. He had a lot of emotional issues. He was type one diabetic. But I thought, I just can't let this kid never get adopted. Like he, I can't let him just age out without a family. Mm-hmm. We'll figure it out. So we started that process. It took about a year. There's training and classes and the whole licensing process. And, and about a year later, he moved in. Wow. That, so that's, uh, I think it's very interesting that uh, even though you maybe didn't feel prepared, you felt like it was more important for you to push forward with this than to allow Micah to go into the back into the foster care system and potentially never have a forever home, right? <laughs> Yeah, there's about 20,000 kids every year that just age out. They never end up getting adopted in the U.S. And it's a really hard life never having a family, never having that that kind of support system. Yeah, so it, it seems like this seems to be a little bit of a passion on your side. So is there a reason why foster care adoption out of foster care or the foster care system is something that you're so attentive to and passionate about? I think that I always felt that having a really loving, supportive, caring family was just the greatest gift that one person could give another person. Yeah. And I think even um, in the gay community, you know, you see some some people who have these amazing families and they're so supportive and so encouraging. And then you have the opposite end of the spectrum where people get shunned from their families or they get kicked out. And it's just one of the most painful things that a person can experience is not having a family that loves them and supports them and is there for them. And I just thought if I could, if I could be that family for these kids, that would change everything for them. Right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. You know, one of the statistics that John and I, have heard and repeated a number of times is that 40% of homeless youth identify as LGBTQ. Uh, So it would make sense to me that a fair number of those, those children are maybe from that foster care system where they've either aged out or they've decided to leave the system because they don't, they can no longer be in the system for whatever the case may be, whatever the reason may be. So um, I think that you've, You've talked about this, or we've talked about this before, this idea of there being LGBT children in the foster care system. So maybe, I know that we weren't necessarily planning on discussing that quite yet, but it seems like it's appropriate right now with the conversation. Maybe you could share with us some of your thoughts or what you are aware of when it comes to LGBT children in the adoptive system. Yeah, it's so important um, to find good placements. Um, And by placements, I mean just families. And by families, I mean any adult, any awesome, loving, supportive adult. There's a lot of misconceptions that it can't be a gay couple or that it it even has to be a couple. Single people can foster, um, older people, younger people, couples. There's there's very little discrimination in the foster system if, you know, loving, supportive adults step forward and say, I want to give this a go. But it's, it is really hard to place gay kids. My husband actually licensed families for foster care for a few years 
and was responsible for trying to place children and find those matches. And I think it's just, it's similar to, I think any time that, that people come out, you know, you have some, some communities and some families that are super supportive and there's some that are less supportive or almost hostile and foster families have similar reactions across their faith communities, their biological families, their friend groups. Some of them are really supportive if they adopt a gay child and some of them might not be, or, or there might be certain people in that family or in that community that are very outspoken against it. Mm-hmm. And there's so many challenges to adopting from foster care. You really need a supportive community to help you out and have your back. So I think a lot of foster families, they go, oh, shoot, like that's one more thing <laughs> that I'm not sure my family is going to be supportive of. Right. Yeah. So I guess that kind of brings up this whole idea of what what is it like to be a foster parent? I mean, I think that many of us kind of at a high level, understand what it's like to be an adoptive parent, having a child mm-hmm. come into your home. But maybe you could talk a little bit about what's the foster care system like and how, what is it like for a foster parent? Maybe timelines and things like that? Yeah. On So on the high level, like awesome, why I love it side, <laughs> um, we'll start with, with the positive. It's it's an amazing, beautiful thing to watch. You get to see these kids who've had either a lot of trauma or neglect or abuse, and they have all of these behaviors. And behaviors is kind of the social worker speak for kids do really weird, crazy stuff that drives <laughs> the grownups crazy, and we don't really understand right. all these behaviors. Um, but slowly over time, like with love and consistency and structure, it's like they start to become who they were always meant to be. And you start to like all of the behaviors like slowly unfold and you get to meet them for the first time over and over. And you're like, Oh, wait a minute. You're like, you're funny. I I had no idea. Like (laughs) I never knew you were funny or you're actually really smart. Like I didn't, you're so good at math. Like I never, I never knew that about you. And it's just a really amazing process to get to be a part of. So that's why I love it. The technical side of the process is like, is just, you just start by finding, you can do it through a private agency, but you can just go through the state. Every state has a department and you give them a call and you say, hey, I'm interested in, and they'll say, well, there's a class starting in three months or six months or a year. And you sign up for the wait list of the class and you go through these classes and, and they, they train you what it's like to be a foster parent. And there's no commitment. Like if during the classes you realize, wow, I am not a great fit for this. <laughs> um, they totally appreciate you realizing that. Right. And And there might be other ways that you can help or be involved or just be a really good advocate for, for the foster care system. Um, but you go through all the classes and then they do a home study, which is very similar to private adoption. And then they start to try to match you with, with kiddos. It would be a great fit. So just so I'm clear, what is the distinct difference between foster care adoption and traditional adoption? Is it that 
it's not a, a, an immediate handoff from parent to parent? Um, yeah. So in, in private adoption, you're typically looking at infants and babies hmm. or younger kids where the birth mom has decided up front uh, either to, to plan to give the child up for adoption, like if she's a, a surrogate or has come to that realization during her pregnancy and decides to give her child up for adoption. With the foster care system, the children were removed from their birth parents and it typically wasn't the birth parents' decision. Hmm. It was because of neglect or abuse or trauma or oftentimes right now drug addiction is is a huge challenge. Methamphetamines in particular are extremely addictive and cause poor parenting decisions. <laughs> um, so the child's been removed and they've usually gone through a lot. So they are they're dealing with some of these behaviors and this loss of they, they've known their birth parents, they've lived with them, and to be removed from them is is traumatic in itself. Right. That's interesting. You know, you did bring up this idea that that's a lot of these children have gone through a lot and then they have behaviors that are maybe the result of that, but I, I can think of some families whose children have not gone through that trauma <laughs> and they have some crazy behaviors too. So um, yeah. it's, it's, it's the, it's that, that's kind of the reality of being a parent, right? You're going to deal with the behaviors that your children have or your child has, uh, whether or not they've gone through any sort of trauma. We all are, it are unique human beings and deal with life differently. So <laughs> I always joke with, with my, bio, I have two biological kids as well. And I was like, yeah, with them, I don't really have an excuse. Like, <laughs> that's, that's just them. Um, it's the DNA. But, yeah. So what are the common expenses associated with being a foster parent? I know that adoption, traditional adoption tends to be quite expensive. And is that the case for foster care adoption or is it different? The state in general really tries to make it as low friction as possible to adopt from foster care, where with a private adoption, honestly, you're competing against an enormous pool of people who all really, really want this perfect little baby. With foster care, there's about 100,000 kids right now in the U.S. who are waiting, just wow. waiting. Uh, they're available for adoption, and they're hoping someone like raises their hand and says, I, I'll give that a try. And so the state feels an enormous burden to try to find great homes for them. Uh, but there is no long line. There's no one waiting. And so the state really tries to make it as low friction as possible, especially financially. Right. They can't fix all of the other challenges that come with being a foster adoptive parent, but they will pay for your home study. They will pay for your training. They'll pay for your licensing. Um, and some states will even cover some of the other costs as far as like filing your paperwork. I think the national average is about $700 to adopt through foster care. Our first adoption, we paid for our own plane tickets because we didn't live in the same state. And this one, I don't think we paid, we adopted a sibling group of three from foster care and the state covered all of those kind of hard costs. And even, I believe in our adoption agreement, they would cover any extra costs we had, like getting their names changed or paperwork filing up to a certain amount. So we didn't really have any 
direct out-of-pocket costs for the adoption process. Gotcha. Yeah, I've, I've heard this idea that states do help. Do you find or have you found that that all states typically do this? They provide some sort of financial support for the adoption process? Almost, almost all states are going to cover your home study, your licensing, your training, all of those kind of paperwork and certification mm-hmm. qualifications. The state typically is going to help cover. Like I said, I think the average is about a thousand dollars out of pocket for mm-hmm. for adoption, and then after that, it's just it's a similar cost to bringing a baby home from a hospital. You know, you, you're going to maybe buy some new furniture and some new clothes and you're going to kind of get your house all set up and maybe swap out a vehicle or something like that. But it's, it's more similar to just having biological kids. Right. I've heard, and this could be a myth that needs to be dispelled that some states actually pay a regular stipend or a portion of the costs associated with having a child in the home is that so this yeah it does some states will it varies a lot state by state and it varies on the adoption so if you bring home a little baby from the hospital they might not help at all mm-hmm. um typically your state will provide health care though for that child Um, as part of our, actually all four of our adoptions, they guaranteed healthcare until our kids reach the age of 18, which that can be nice. Um, it takes one, one more concern off of your plate. So that's part of, it's fairly typically part of an adoption agreement. Most states reimburse, they try to help offset the costs. Honestly, it, it generally doesn't cover the cost at all. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of parents think about it like, oh, it kind of helps like pay for the groceries or right. the gas to get around. It varies a lot by state. Like some states are as low as like $6 a day, which is kind of hilarious as far as the cost of raising a child. <laughs> um, but yeah, they, and that depends. It really depends on how hard the kids are to place. Sure. So if a kid is really easy to place, the state's like, oh, we aren't going to have any trouble. But larger sibling groups, kids with high needs, kids where there's just going to be a lot of extra costs, they realize that it's a huge financial, sometimes challenge for families to add an instant three or four kids to their home. Right. So, right. <laughs> instant family. You know, I yeah. think I think that's the the movie that's out right now that you had mentioned to us, uh, this yes. adoption movie. But, you know, it's interesting, and I'm glad you shared that, that it, it depends on the state. For many of you, if you're thinking of adoption, and you're also confronted with the high costs of adoption, being a foster parent and bringing kids in through the foster system can be a lower cost way of doing that. I know that there are many of you out there who really want to help children or want to have children, want to have a family. So this may be the more cost-effective way to do that. Don't allow the idea of it costing a lot to adopt children prevent you from having the family you want. It just may look a little different than what you maybe had originally intended. So, 
And that's an important thing for each couple to honestly evaluate. Um, like I said, my husband licensed families for foster care. And the difference, one of the main differences between adopting from foster care versus adopting privately is that if you really want that newborn experience, like if you really want a baby that's going to enrich your family, then that might be a better choice. Right. But if you really feel like you could be an awesome family for a child, it's an entirely different perspective because to place the burden of you need to come in and you need to like make our lives awesome and you need to like make our marriage better and just make (laughs) everything more fun on a kid who's like already been traumatized and been through a lot. He's like, yeah, I don't have a lot to give just at the moment. (laughs) Right. Um, But if you think that you could be an amazing family for a kid, then it might be a great fit. And I think a common misconception is that you can't do both. You know, we have two biological kids and we've adopted four. So we have kind of that newborn, we share DNA with this person experience. And we have the joy of adoption and, and they're different, but they're both lovely. And, and you can opt to to mix and match. (laughs) Right. 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 So you obviously have experience with being a foster parent, and my guess is that you know other foster parents. What have you found are some of the, the valuable skills that you would want to make sure you have before you consider maybe adopting a child out of the foster care system? I think the most important thing is just to be open to learning. There's, it's an entirely different way of, of learning how to care for another human being and learning to be really empathetic and learning about what trauma and abuse does to people and how to best deal with that. And, and the state will provide training, but I encourage people to, to get more training. I think that, that being a foster parent, like I've done so much training now and honestly, it's made me better equipped in most areas of my life, like professionally and networking and in my friendships and in my family relationships. You just learn so much about, yeah, about kind of human interactions and and why people have behaviors and how to best uh, deal with that. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that. It is whether you're bringing a child into the world through natural means having a child of your biological child of your own or you're adopting a child into your family there's always opportunity to learn there right so it's amazing how having children changes some people and oftentimes changes them for the better <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i know that not all foster parents are on the path to adoption some people just want to be short term foster parents. I actually read a, an article about emergency foster parents, parents who may take children when they are being removed from home and being put in their home for a couple of days to a couple of weeks before they're put into a permanent placement. What if, if I'm on this path and I'm not certain, is being a foster parent a good first step for me to determine if this is what's right for me to be a parent? Yeah, I I really encourage people, if you're thinking about it, if you're interested, just to start the process, um, whether you want to do respite or short-term or emergency placements, 
Um, you have to go through the same training. So you do the same classes and you do the same home study. Going through that process, you'll learn a lot about yourself. If you're in a relationship, you'll learn a lot about your relationship. You'll have some really great conversations. And then there are a ton of options. You can take emergency placements. You can just support other foster families. Oftentimes when kids are in foster care, they're not allowed to leave their city. So if a family needs to like fly across the country for an emergency, they're not allowed to take their foster kids. Oh, wow. So they need a place for their foster kids to stay for a weekend or a week. And it's amazing to have other trained foster parents who are able to step up and do that. It's such a huge resource. Yeah, so going through the process, you'll figure out what's a good start. And you can start with, yeah, short-term placements or just helping out like one other foster family. What my husband oftentimes did when he had new foster families is he would pair them up with an existing foster family and have them watch those kids for one weekend a month just oh. to kind of get them started, like, nice. you know, dip the toe in the water <laughs> and and figure things out before they took a permanent placement of their own. Right. That makes sense. So what advantages are there of being a foster parent first before becoming an adoptive parent, if any? Um, we've done it both ways. So our first son that we adopted was free for adoption. And we knew that that was the path we were on. And it's a little bit different of a process. And I think it's important for each person to kind of consider what's a better fit for them. You don't have all of the court dates and you don't have birth parents still in the picture. You know that this is your kid from day one and you just move forward with that. The sibling group that we took in, they were still in foster care and their birth parents had visitation twice a week and there were caseworkers and social workers and court dates. And we had no idea if they would stay with us permanently or if they would go back to biological family. And it's a very different experience. And so just figuring out which one, you know, which one you feel comfortable with and which one seems like the right fit. Some people don't want to necessarily adopt. They just want to be a safe place for a kid mm -hmm. while the birth family has a chance to get their stuff together. <laughs> and, and honestly, those foster parents are so amazing and they can be really empathetic and loving and supportive towards birth families. Um, cause birth families feel so much shame and they feel so much, um, hostility sometimes towards them. And they really need kind of an advocate as well to support them in their, either their recovery or whatever they're going through. That was going to be my, my follow-up question. What is that experience like being the foster parent, potentially the adoptive parent and meeting and working with the biological parent? It's generally a little bit challenging, uh, at least to start because, because the birth parents usually feel a lot of shame and it's hard to have the government come into your home and say, you're doing a horrible job at this. Mm. In fact, you're doing such a bad job at being a parent that we're going to remove your kids and we're going to put them with someone who's better than you. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's how we start this relationship. Right. So, yeah, it's a little acrimonious. Yeah. You have a little bit to overcome, but once you know, with our with our birth parents in this last adoption, once the birth mom realized like we're not against her, we don't hate her, um, we just are trying to help 
her out and give her a chance um, and do what's best for her kids and make sure her kids are happy and safe. We're not trying to turn her kids against her. Right. She eventually came around and, and really liked us. And, and even though she opted to surrender her rights and we adopted her kiddos, um, we still have some visitation and we still do Skype calls with her occasionally and we still maintain that relationship. Nice. Yeah. It is, um, you do highlight kind of the whole emotional aspect of it. I think for a lot of us who think about adoption, we think about the emotional aspects for our, of ourselves. And we have to remember that there's the emotional aspects of the individuals on the other side as well. I'm glad yeah. you bring that up. So you've mentioned this idea of kids with high needs, and maybe you could talk a little bit about some of the some of the more common ways or types of uh, individuals that might be designated as high needs, and then maybe share with us what happens if you realize that you're not the parent, you're not able to to fulfill all of the needs of someone like that. Yeah. So the the state classifies high needs in a lot of different ways. It could be as simple as it being a sibling group or sometimes even being a different um, a different race, they would classify as high needs. If basically any kids that they have a hard time placing mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Typically you'll see kids with some educational delays, you know, when life is really chaotic and when you're in an abusive situation, kids just aren't learning very well. So they'll be delayed across the board in, for little kids, their fine motor skills or their speech development. Older kids, academically, they might be a full year behind. And, and they're just, they're dealing with a lot of behaviors. Some of that is results of trauma. Some of it's just because they're going through a really hard season. Right. You know, it's it's like if your house burned down and your parents died in the same month, you would just you're just going through a hard season and and they act out a little bit because they're just stressed out and overwhelmed, especially if they're dealing with uncertainty, like not knowing where I'm gonna live or if I'm gonna see my parents again. So that can be really common. And some kids have medical needs. Oftentimes, if a family, a birth family is not necessarily outright abusive, but they just don't have a good economic status, they don't have a good social system, maybe there's some drugs and alcohol involved, and it's just kind of a chaotic environment. If you get a kid born into that family that has medical needs, it can quickly deteriorate. Right. Um, so my kiddo was type one diabetic when we adopted Micah and, you know, his mom was kind of like kind of homeless, kind of barely keeping things together. And all of a sudden he needed all of his medical care. And that's eventually what would cause CPS to intervene. Gotcha. So I want to revisit the idea of, of LGBT kids. How does the state or the foster care system identify these kids is it do the kids come out to the state or is it just is it as assumed or assessed that they might be lgbt and then how is that shared with the potential foster parents so after a kid goes into care um they'll start creating a file when kids go into care you know they get removed in the middle of the night or from a hospital this caseworker knows nothing about this kid <laughs> and usually they're not talking they're not right. saying a word <laughs> right. and so if they drop them off at an emergency placement 
And they're like, good luck. We have no idea. Um, (laughs) And that foster parent, you know, as I get to know them, will start to, you know, oh, it looks like they're a little behind in their reading. It looks like they have a hard time with this. The foster kids oftentimes will start to open up to their foster parent. And the foster parent can share that with the caseworker to put it in their file so that when the kid moves to a more permanent placement, the foster family has some idea of the kid's needs and any unique challenges. And as a foster parent, when you go through the training, they will give you typically a checklist of like 80 different (laughs) behaviors or situations. And you say, yes, I can deal with this or no, I cannot. And they're very caseworkers. Good ones are typically really honest, like know yourself, know what you can do and know what you can't do. Like, don't say yes to things that you feel completely unprepared to deal with. So if a child um, is diabetic, if a child is blind, if a child has, you know, a certain age or a certain sibling group or whatever the need is, know if you can meet it and you'll fill all that paperwork out. So your caseworker has this kind of profile of this kid. And hopefully there's a whole bunch of foster and adoptive parents out there who've been licensed and they can try to make a good match Mm -hmm. because we really want kids to, to thrive and to flourish in whatever placement they have or else what happens is the foster family disrupts. And that's when they call the social worker and they're like, I can't do this. I can't handle this. Mm. We're way over our heads. You need to find a new home for this kid. And typically a kid before they find their adoptive placement is going to disrupt three to 10 times, Wow, which is very traumatic um, for the kid. So they really try to find good placements up front. Um, So typically I would say with, With that situation, hopefully the kid is, you know, built a good relationship with their foster parent and, and that's, that's come out at some point and they've trusted them enough to share that, especially with older kids. Mm -hmm. Um, if they're, you know, junior high or high school age and they can put that, the social worker can put that in their file to try to find a match that will be really supportive and encouraging and, ideally has a somewhat supportive and encouraging community right. around that foster family as well. Yeah, so that makes a lot could, of sense. Could someone volunteer to become a foster parent and say, I'm looking for children who are LGBT? Oh my gosh, your caseworker would be so happy. <laughs> <laughs> they would just be over the moon happy. Um, yeah, anytime people volunteer for kids that are hard to place, you know, if you say, that's the kind of kiddo I'm looking for, or I'm ready to take on a sibling group of six, or I can handle a child who's deaf or blind or whatever the kids that are hard to place. If you raise your hand for that group, they will probably have three or four profiles on, you know, in your living room by the next week and say, (laughs) we got some kiddos for you. Be careful what you ask for. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So then LGBT kids would be considered high needs probably by almost every state, um, especially if it's an older kid. I'm not sure at what point in the state, like what age, they try not to classify kids with any sort of special need before the age of like four or five, you know, whether it's a learning disability or a behavioral problem, any diagnosis, they're, they're just a little antsy to put a label on a kid. So I'm not sure with that, what age they would 
like write that in ink in their file. Right. Right. But I would, I don't know. I would imagine like seven or eight or nine, like once the kid's a, a little bit old enough to where the, the caseworker feels good writing, writing that down in the kid's permanent file. So do you have any context on what the experience is for people who are classified as LGBT that are in the more red states in the foster care system? Is that a pretty, I don't know, acrimonious relationship? In the, in the state licensing, um, for the most part, you might come across one or two people who have their own personal bias, but... For the most part, the foster care system really, I don't want to say the word desperate, but they're very open-minded to whoever is a great, loving, supportive adult. Um, so a lot of the restrictions that you'll see on private adoptions or on foreign adoptions, as far as how young you can be or old you can be or married or single or any of those things, it's very, very minimal in the foster care system. And they're not allowed to discriminate against um, same-sex couples or or however a person identifies. Like I say, even single people, like I never want to discourage single people from becoming foster and adoptive parents because they make amazing foster and adoptive parents. Right. So they're, legally, there should be no discrimination. You might find, you know, one caseworker or one licensing person who might have a bad attitude, but actual discrimination shouldn't be an issue on the state side. Right. So there is an increase in in states enacting or tr attempting to enact uh, religious freedom bills. And uh, we know that there are several states that have recently passed laws that are preventing LGBT people from adopting. Uh, so it sounds like maybe this could be a way around some of that, is that some families, whether it's a, a couple or an individual, if they identify as queer, that they may may find this is a better option is to go through the foster care system because they know that there's hopefully less bias and there's shouldn't be any discrimination. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing that you might run into is through foster care licensing, part of it's done through the state, just as a government organization. Occasionally they subcontract out to different organizations. So if you see in the news, like this organization won't won't license gay couples for foster care. It's typically those private organizations that kind of have their own set of guidelines. And the right. reason the state will partner with these organizations is for kids that are really hard to place, um, that need a lot more support, need, yeah, the, the kind of support that usually a private organization with private funding will provide. But it doesn't, that doesn't apply through going through the state at all. Okay. And honestly, if there's a particular kid that that organization is trying to place, but they haven't been able to place that child, and you know that kiddo, and you would love to adopt that kiddo, but that organization is trying to discriminate against the couple, oftentimes you can go to the, the state and their caseworker. The caseworker is always through the state. And say, hey, we're here. We're we're available to adopt that kiddo, mm. and the state will typically pull the case file from the private organization <laughs> and make it a state case because they're just trying to find they're just trying to find parents. I mean, there's a hundred thousand kids waiting. They're not 
it's not like a private adoption Mm -hmm. where there's an enormous pool of adults like vying for this baby. It's very much the opposite. So they do not want to discourage anyone for any reason if they can be a safe loving home. Perfect. That makes sense. So if I'm inclined to want to become an adoptive parent or a foster parent, what is your advice to us? I would just give them a call and get started. You know, it's such a long process and frustratingly long process. If you're just thinking about it, I would call and sign up for that class and see when it starts and just kind of show up and start doing the classes and see what you think about it. It's something that you don't want to wait until you're like, I want a kid in my home next week because it's not going to move that quickly. It's like, it's a government organization. It's the government, right? <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just going to take so long. It takes a week to sit at the DMV. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And you'll learn a lot in the process and you'll see where you could fit in or even if it's a good fit for you. Yeah. So I, I think that there are a lot of individuals in our community who are considering becoming parents. So I appreciate everything that you've shared with us so far. But what about those of us who are not inclined to be parents? Are there ways that we can be supportive as well? There would be two things I would recommend. Um, One, if you want to be really involved, would sign up to be a CASA worker. And these are court-appointed special advocates. You get assigned to either a single child or sibling group and you follow them through their whole journey through the foster care system. And you advocate for that kiddo because they might, like I said, they might go through five or six different foster families. Their caseworker might change a dozen times. Kids can kind of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And they really need someone to advocate for them. And that's an amazing volunteer opportunity. But honestly, if you're like, I don't really want to be involved with the kiddos or like that's not my thing one of the best things and really helpful things that a person could do is just be supportive and open-minded and encouraging to other couples who might be considering it because like i said we foster families really need a supportive and encouraging community around them and almost Eight times out of 10, when someone says, hey, we're thinking about being foster parents, their community response is, oh my gosh, why would you do that? Oh, <laughs> right. that's horrible. Yeah. I can't, why? That's insane. Like, don't do that. That's just going to, that's going to ruin your life. Why are you ruining your life? Um, and that response will ensure that kids don't find homes. Right. You know, when everyone in their community responds that way, where if let's say you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm totally never going to be a parent. That's not my jam. But you, for some reason, are still listening to this episode. Like, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) But send this episode to five or six people you know who are considering being parents and just say, hey, like, I heard this. Maybe this could be an option for you guys. Maybe this is something you could look into. Like, we would be so happy for you and we would be really supportive. And that alone could help so many kids get adopted. Absolutely. And I I think that on the, I'll just throw one other thing in here, that there are a lot of organizations out there that do support adoption and support LGBT families. If you are not able to do the other two things that uh, Jillian recommended, these organizations are constantly looking for money so that they can continue to support the adoptions. And actually, in some cases, they help 
families adopt financially, they help them adopt. So you may remember we had Becky Fawcett on from... Uh, Help us adopt. Help us adopt. Thank you, John. Thanks for helping me, John. Uh, and that I saw is blank stare. Right. That is her whole goal is to provide money to families, especially minority families, including LGBT families who need the additional money so they can finish the adoption process. So, if you can't have a family of your own but you want to help, there's plenty of organizations out there that you can support financially as well. And if you are really bold and adventurous and want to be an advocate and a resource for gay kids who are in the foster care system. You know, there's a lot of foster parents who are like, maybe I could do that. I had some friends who tried to adopt um, a transgender girl, but it can be really scary and overwhelming if you don't know anyone right. who's gone through that, who, who understands that process. And it could be one more barrier to say, Hey, this kiddo has an advocate who, if you have any questions, if you need anything, like they know all about this. I think most, most foster families who do end up adopting gay children are because they have someone who's gay in their family or a friend and they've been able to have those conversations. But some foster families don't. I think especially in, in more conservative or red states, they might not know anyone to to have that conversation mm-hmm. um so they might not feel prepared awesome thank you very much jillian so do you have any last comments or thoughts that you'd like to share with us um no i think it's just it's something to consider it's something to be open to and to support your community and those around you you know there can be a lot of a lot of negativity I think, you know, why would a person do this or it's so difficult or hard? And it is hard, but it's just more reason that we need really incredible people to to step up and incredible people to support those who are trying to be brave and step into this area where they might feel a little overwhelmed or not prepared. Absolutely. You know, and I'll just remind all of you that John and I do this The reason we have this podcast is we love to share stories of success. And Jillian's an example of that where she has as part of her success story is having a family where some of those children are children who have been adopted out of the foster care system. And so if that's something that will make you a success, please consider this. Consider this as an option. That's why we wanted to bring this story to you. Thank you, Jillian, so much for, for what you've shared with us. How can our listeners connect with you if they want to learn a little bit more or just to find out what you do in general? Because you you have a great story on what you do on the side as well with your family living in Montana. Yeah, the easiest way to get a hold of me is just through my email newsletter. And it's it's on my site at Montana Money Adventures. And you can hit reply to any any email I send out if you have questions or if you need help. I would love to try to connect you with um, with any resources that are out there. And as part of my free resources, I have some kind of life planning questions and it might be something to print off and just start having those conversations, um, either as a single person or if you're in a relationship, just to see like, is this something we want to do? Like, how would this fit into our lives? Awesome. And we'll definitely link to that in the show notes for this episode. Exactly. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been a very enlightening conversation for me specifically. Thank you guys so much for having me. You bet. It was awesome. Thank you.
Thank you so much, Jillian, for joining us this week to shine a light on a great way for our LGBTQ community to think about creating their families. As many of you know, this is a topic that often chokes me up. These children need families, and if there's anything you can do to support foster parents or are considering doing so yourself, we encourage you to get started. Thank you again for listening, and remember, please share this episode with someone you know who may be interested in creating their own family. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.